I would rather see us having healthy children go back to school next year and teachers than seeing severely ill and dead people. Well, I'm very concerned because I have a child who's type 1 diabetic. Her immune system is compromised. We cannot be looking to the national minister to say when schools will be ready. We need to be looking at ourselves and our communities and how we are supporting schools to be ready because schools cannot do it on their own. Should schools reopen? When should they reopen? Can the academic year be salvaged? These have been the questions keeping politicians, educators and parents awake at night. And there are no simple answers. I'm Catherine Rice and this is Episode 7 of the COVID-19 Chronicles. On May 19, Education Minister Angie Motsheka announced the reopening of schools, starting with Grades 7s and 12s. The National Coronavirus Command Council and Cabinet have approved the reopening of schools as of June 1, 2020. Independent and public ordinary schools will open even in the metropolitan areas. But many believe the reopening of schools is premature and could have fatal consequences. Close the schools for the year, make special arrangements for the matriculants, uh, pass everyone automatically. There is already a provision in policy called automatic promotion, which is applied, obviously, to kids who fail more than once in a phase. Education expert Professor Jonathan Jansen is adamant that the 2020 academic year cannot and should not be saved. When there's so much uncertainty, and and a very real possibility, by the way, that you could trigger a panic in schools when teachers die and and kids get ill, even if it's small numbers initially, then you're going to have to close the schools anyway, okay? Because these are contaminated spaces, you know. You might have seen the debates in the Eastern Cape and Kozula Natal around the impossibility of preparing those schools as decontaminated spaces, as places in which you can do temperature checks, adequate sanitation, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to happen. I mean, I've researched and worked in and taught and studied schools all my life. I can tell you now, there is no way that every one of our 26,000 schools is going to have these kinds of preemptive measures in place. Education specialist Professor Mary Metcalf agrees that the uncertainty of COVID-19 will remain for some time, but doesn't think closing schools indefinitely would be the right course of action. The virus will be active in South Africa until at least the end of next year. Schools can't remain closed until the end of next year because learners need to be in institutional support which provides them with routines, which provides them for opportunities to learn. And indeed with schools opening, there are huge advantages for community education around safe health practices and there's advantages in terms of school feeding. We do need to open schools, but we need to ensure that the practices are in place in every school that opens to safeguard the health of teachers, workers and learners. Pediatric pulmonologist Dr Fiona Kritzinger says there is no need for parents to panic and believes the decision to reopen schools is the correct one. 
my experience in my practice every day is there is a lot of fear that one can obviously understand. Part of that fear, however, I think is is not based on the scientific evidence that we have accumulated over the last two, three months. Um, so my personal opinion, and I can obviously only speak for myself, but the advice that I give to my patients is that we should try as much as possible to get children back to school um, in the safest possible way, but not to actually keep them in an extended lockdown. I think the harms of an extended lockdown emotionally, educationally, psychologically, and even economically for parents who have to work and support their children and care for their children far outweighs the current risk based on scientific evidence. She believes parents should be reassured by the evidence emerging from other countries. Children do not seem to spread the virus very easily. So we based, uh, and the, some of the studies that have looked at that comes from New South Wales, where they looked at schools that didn't close down, um, and they had about 730-odd students and 128 staff members, and they had nine children with COVID and nine teachers with COVID, and there was no secondary cases that could be traced back to the nine children. So. Children do not seem to spread the illness easily, and I think that was the initial fear why the decision was made to close down the schools. Executive Director of Teacher Union Naptoza, Basil Manuel, says a staggered approach with just two grades returning at a time will ease the pressure. I'm an eternal optimist, and I believe that in June we can open schools, in early June. And I believe that it takes a concerted effort because as the teacher unions and as Naptoza, we have said to the department, we are not being ridiculous in the demands and, uh, and with threats because we have said, look, if we're going to open and let us take the grade 12s and grade 7s as the first two grades that come in, we only want to see the PPEs there for that group. That buys you another two weeks before the next group comes in and buys you yet another two weeks before the next group comes in. That eases the pressure on these deliveries of these PPEs. So we need to, to, to be giving and taking. But it will be costly. We at one with, with the fact that every child must get a mask. And the national minister has said that. And yet there's another province now that is saying it is not going to give quintile four and five schools when the vast majority of quintile four schools are poor schools. But then when we come to issues of overcrowding and water and screeners and cleaners and additional teachers, yes, it's going to be costly. But we can't have no additional staff if people are going to go off with comorbidities, if people are going to be over the age of 60 with a, a, a morbid condition, we have to have additional staff. What about those schools that are sitting with 80 plus in a class when the minister has said no class must have more than 40? And not every province has the same challenges. I've been hearing many stories and I've been seeing uh, things going from the sublime to the ridiculous. And let me qualify that. Here we have in the northwest uh, the head of department issuing a circular to say um, parents must come in and clean the schools. We've got no money. Really? That cannot be it. 
we see Limpopo saying that, okay, we're going to take a portion of your uh, norms and standards allocation. But the schools have already budgeted for the use of those norms and standards allocations, either for school books or for paying services, etc. Now, the cleaning of schools uh, is not a major, major issue because I think the department itself confused the public by talking about deep cleaning. Until our scientists stepped in and said, but what are you deep cleaning for when, in fact, the schools have been closed for two months? And the fact, the, 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 the fact of the matter is it's almost impossible that a virus would have survived from two months ago to now. He says infrastructure also remains a massive stumbling block. They need infrastructure as well as staffing. Now, I don't believe the infrastructure will be there on time. If we haven't managed this in 25 years, how are we going to do it in two weeks? But there has to be a real attempt at this. Same too with the water. Uh, There is a huge water deficit. At the moment, the last statistic I had was 3,400 schools still didn't have water. Satu General Secretary Maguena Maluleke believes more money must be channeled to poorer provinces. We must have a fund that is specifically for these particular poor provinces so they can also be at the same footing with the others because the right to education does not only apply to rich provinces, it applies to each and every learner and therefore it will be unforgettable, unforgivable, it will be uncalled for for any government to then say you see to finish. Uh, whether they're coming to school on Monday or they don't come, whatever time you'll be ready, they will come. Those that are ready must go on and so forth. It can't. We've given the minister enough time to ensure that she lobbies for money, and we were promised that there's going to be money that is going to be afforded for these particular provinces to procure the necessary personal protective equipment that are required in the schools. Professor Mary Metcalf says the Education Department will need the buy-in of the public. We can only push as fast as we establish public confidence. If the public is confident that the schools are ready, that all of the necessary procedures to safeguard children and teachers and workers are in place, then schools must open. For Pia and James Easterbrook, whose 14-year-old daughter has type 1 diabetes, the prospect of her returning to school is terrifying. Her immune system is compromised and I'm just wondering if the schools will be prepared to, you know, with sanitization and masks and will the children actually, you know, wear their masks? Will they will they behave themselves in the school environment in terms of wearing the mask and washing their hands and all that kind of thing. I'm very, very scared about her picking it up. I'd be quite worried about sending her back too early, putting her at unnecessary risk to to, to get the virus and then, you know, struggling, just getting normal fluid as a type 1 diabetic. Yeah, it's more complicated to manage than a non-type 1 diabetic. Yeah, and we don't really know enough about this virus and what the long-term effects are. Um, yeah, so I don't really see the need to take, yeah, and I certainly wouldn't want to take unnecessary risks. Psychologist Zamo Mbele thinks this is the time for creativity and thinking outside the box and moving away from archaic education systems. And I do want to caution the adults that are making these decisions who themselves are under severe stress and, um, stress and strain that in those circumstances, when we're all under crisis, we can oftentimes be reduced to a few options 
as opposed to imagine with creativity, actually, the very many possibilities available to us. He believes a premature reopening of schools could add to the mental distress already being experienced by many learners. There is also certainly the psychological traumatic potential of sending children out to environments which are not ready to receive them, not just from a preparedness around infection and transmission, but also psychic preparedness. And we might be acting too prematurely and putting them in situations where X amount of months and years from now, we realize that we were sending them out to very, very damaging places and spaces. It's a risk Jansen believes is simply not worth taking. You don't make a trade-off, as I see some academics, uh, researchers doing, and the trade-off is, well, you know, more people will die of hunger than, than if they happen to get the coronavirus. What kind of logic is that? That logic only works if you don't have children or you don't have children in school. Then you begin to think of human beings, you know, as as economic trade-offs in a pandemic. That is something I speak out against very strongly. Because I can tell you, if you're a parent and you've got one child at a primary school and you have to make this wager, you don't. School bells will ring again and learners will return to school. But parents, particularly those whose children have underlying health conditions, will have a difficult decision to make. No child can be forced to return to school, but government has made it clear that those who don't must be registered for homeschooling. With so many different opinions, deciding whether your child returns to school or not could be one of the toughest decisions of your life. This podcast was produced by Catherine Rice for News24.